Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. Well, good morning, family. Good to see you this morning. Good to be in the Lord's house. I encourage you to take your Bibles out and open to the book of Philippians and chapter 4 this morning. It was back in uh, 1963. Some of us were alive back then. The musical Bye Bye Birdie debuted along with Dick Van Dyke singing the song Put On a Happy Face. It became an instant classic. Then in 1988, the movie Cocktail featured a song by Bobby McFerrin called Don't Worry, Be Happy. It became the number one hit on Billboard's Top 100. And then uh, in December 2013, the movie soundtrack for Despicable Me included a song by Pharrell Williams called Happy. And uh, it quickly became Billboard's top song of the year 2014. If you're acquainted with the songs, you probably know, I think, that the reason they're popular is simply because they are toe-tapping, pick-me-up, feel-good songs. And they put a smile on your face. And they make us, I think, some, I think somehow hope that life could be so simple that we could just put a smile on our face and all our worries go away and we will be happy. At least that's what we wish. What does that have to do with anything this morning? We'll get there in just a second. But first, let's back up the train just a moment. Last week, we began a message series here in Philippians chapter 4 that's going to take us through the rest of this summer right up through Labor Day. Because as we notice here in verse 1 of chapter 4, the apostle writes to us and he challenges us and he encourages us. He says the end of verse 1, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Saying, dear friends, dear brothers, dear sisters, stand firm in the Lord. The reason he wants us to stand firm in the Lord, the, the basis of that, of that encouragement is actually found in the verses right before that, the end of chapter 3. And there we read these words, the end of chapter 3, where he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are citizens of heaven. We have an eternal destiny. Our home is already in heaven. We're waiting for our Savior Jesus to return from there. He's going to give us a new, a glorious body, an eternal body, we have an eternal future there in heaven, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more, no more suffering, no more death. You guys looking forward to that? Amen. In the meantime, we are here on planet earth 
where it is often difficult and he encourages us to stand firm in the Lord. But Paul doesn't just tell us to stand firm. He goes on to tell us how we're to do that. How are we to stand firm in the Lord when life is tough, when there are sufferings, even persecution? And what we realized or what we discovered last week is that Paul goes on to give a series of seven commands, a list of seven commands. And in each of these commands, there are instructions that will help us, that will help equip us and enable us to stand firm in the Lord. Last week we looked at the first of those, which where he called on a couple of ladies who were having problems, he told them to agree in the Lord. And I put that for our list here of summarizing, it's to stand together. We will not be able to stand firm in the Lord if we do not stand together. We will not be able to stand firm if we are at odds with each other and fighting each other. Rather, God has put us here in the body of Christ as brothers and sisters, as family, as children of God. We are to be those who encourage one another, who, as the writer of Hebrews puts it, who, who stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So that was last week. Today, we're continuing in that. Now we come to verse 3. Verse 3, it's just one short verse, it's quite simple. Follow along as I read it. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. The second of these seven commands is that we are to be joyful, to rejoice in the Lord. Many of us know this verse by heart. It's familiar It's short, it's simple, it's what most of us want. We want joy in our life. But reality sets in and our experience is often quite different than joy. Our experience is kind of like a t-shirt I saw not long ago that said, don't tell me to have a nice day. (laughs) We're not having a good day, we don't want to be told to have a nice day. (laughs) It's like W.C. Fields who said, The old comedian said, I start off each day with a smile just to get it over with. (laughs) But this verse, this instruction, this command from the Apostle Paul to rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice, it's not just an empty platitude. It's not just a song with a little pick-me-up lyric here to try to make us you know, try to slap the proverbial lipstick on a pig and pretend that we're something that we are not. It's not just a nice-sounding but useless or meaningless statement like, don't worry, be happy, or put on a happy face. This is the Word of God, and it means something, and it's something significant for us this morning. So let's dig into this very little verse and I hopefully along the way discover some big truths that we can apply that will help us to stand firm in the Lord, even in a very difficult world. First thing I notice as I look at this, and 
We're going to just do a little bit of observation here about this little verse, which, by the way, if you, if you do Bible study, I hope you know that one of the first things to do and one of the most important things to do in studying the Bible is to be very observant, to really look at it and to, to, be, to look at it very carefully and to say, what is it saying? What does the text say? Long before we try to figure out what it means, we have to look at what does it say? The first thing I notice as I look at this little verse is I realize, as we've already said, that it is a command. Be joyful is a command. And when you think about that, maybe as with you as with what I tried to do, one eyebrow tried to go up. I can't get one eyebrow to go up, I realized. But some of you can do that. One eyebrow goes up and you go, wait, wait, how do you command joy? How do you command rejoice? And so I look at it again and I, I look, I look for the loopholes and I realize it's not optional. He doesn't say it as a suggestion or a nice thought. If you happen to be in the mood to do this, rejoice. It says rejoice. Therefore I realize that rejoicing What he's calling us to do here is a choice. Joy must be something that we can choose. To rejoice must be more of a choice that we make and less of an emotion that we feel. In that sense, it's very much like love. The Bible tells us to love, and our our world tends to think of love as an emotion, and God says that love is a verb. Love is an action. It's something we choose to do. Emotions are nice, and emotions can go along with that, but we can love without emotion, but emotion will follow. He calls us here to have joy. It's a choice that we make. I realize that it also, along that, it's not natural. It's not automatic, or otherwise he wouldn't have to command it. If you just naturally rejoiced all the time, he wouldn't have to tell you to do that. I also realize that if God is telling us to do something, that it's possible. God doesn't call us to do that which is impossible, just so he can watch us be frustrated. It must be possible for us to choose joy. And also I realize here as I observe this, that... It's important. This command is important. How do I know that? Because he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it just in case you fell asleep, just in case you lost attention, your attention span is very short, just in in case you think Paul is is crazy. (laughs) Again, I will say it, rejoice. So it must be important. Being joyful is a command. There's another observation I want to make. And that is, he says, go back to the verse. Rejoice in the Lord. What's the next word? Always. Our rejoicing is to be continual. It is to be something that should be all the time. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not just when we feel like it. Personally, I would like it if Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord most of the time. 
Rejoice in the Lord almost all the time. Give me at least a little wiggle room here. But he says, always. And when I think about that, I think always is so always. (laughs) And there's a lot of times I just don't want to rejoice in the Lord. (laughs) A lot of times I want to be grumpy. I want to be depressed. I want to be frustrated. I want to be angry. I want to be a lot of things other than rejoicing. Not just rejoice when life is good, when everything is going my way, but even rejoice in difficulty, in suffering, in sickness, in disaster. Does Paul really mean that? Does Paul mean that we, we are supposed to rejoice in the Lord even when tomorrow morning you're, you somehow miss your alarm and you're running late and you get in the car and you, you're rushing, rushing, rushing and you get onto I-70 and it's jam-packed, blocked, traffic is moving, crawling along and you're sitting there frustrated and all of a sudden you have to slam on the brakes and your coffee goes all over you and... Are you still supposed to rejoice in the Lord? The other eyebrow just went up. How can this be? Is Paul serious? Is he nuts? Well, may I say, Paul isn't calling us to do something or to be something that he is not doing or he is not being. In fact, rejoicing the Lord is something that Paul models for us. As we read his letters, we see it, and especially this little letter to the Philippians, which some uh, commentators over the centuries have called the epistle or the letter of joy. Joy runs off the pages of this little letter. The word joy and rejoice just is used again and again in these few little pages. But as Paul writes and he speaks with joy and he says, I rejoice and, and I, I'm, I'm filled with joy and I overflow with joy and he talks about joy, Paul isn't writing this little letter while he is sitting in a beach chair at Club you know, Mediterranean over there drinking a refreshing beverage from a coconut. That's how we think he should be if he's writing a letter that's filled with joy. But we discover that Paul is in prison. He mentions his imprisonment several times in chapter 1. The ESV here translates it imprisonment. I like the translation literally from the Greek. It says he is in chains. Verse 13 of chapter 1, Paul says, I am imprisoned, but literally the Greek says, I am in chains for Christ. See, imprisoned, we can think of, there are some prisons here in our country which actually aren't such bad places. They have beds and TV and exercise rooms and courtyards and, and uh, you know, decent food. And, and uh, that's not the prison that Paul's talking about. Prison he's talking about is in chains. And when you're in chains, 
you got to think he's in a dungeon. He's in a difficult spot. Conditions are far from pleasant. They are miserable. Not only are his conditions miserable, his circumstances are dismal. Because we find out that his life is in the balance. He says he doesn't know how this is going to turn out, if he's going to be released out of prison to freedom or if he's going to be executed. His situation is dismal. But Paul, we discover, doesn't find difficulty and suffering and even sadness and sorrow in contradiction to being joyful all the time. Paul calls us to be joyful all the time, and in this letter he exudes joy. But we'll look in chapter 2 and verse 27, and Paul there is expressing gratitude to God, as he writes these Philippians, gratitude to God for sparing the life of his comrade, his assistant, Epaphroditus who has brought this letter to the folks here in Philippians. But there was a time where Epaphroditus, not very long before this, was very sick and almost died. And Paul writes to these folks in verse 27, and he says that, I thank my God for not only sparing Epaphroditus' life, God had mercy on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. See, Paul knew if Epaphroditus died, it was going to bring great sorrow to him. How can Paul talk about having great sorrow at the same time he tells us to rejoice in the Lord always? Paul doesn't see these things as antithetical. There's my point. You can rejoice always and yet feel grief and sorrow. We see that same thought in chapter 3, verse 18, where the Apostle Paul, as he is writing this letter, he says, I have often told you and tell you even now with tears. So as the Apostle Paul is, is writing with joy and he's calling us to be rejoice always, he even writes this letter with tears. So how does that fit together? How does it fit together that we are to rejoice always and yet we are to do it when our experience isn't always enjoyable, not always fun, not always pleasant? Matter of fact, how do we do that when, as we read, he's not calling us then to just put a smiley face on our troubles? not causing, calling us to put a smiley face on our suffering and on our pain. To rejoice always must not mean that we are supposed to deny the reality of our hurt. To rejoice always, whatever Paul means, it's not to diminish the reality of suffering and loss and anguish or sorrow, nor to diminish our ability to feel and even to express our hurt and our sadness and our pain. I know that as well, not only because of what Paul says here, but because I look over in the gospel and I see Jesus who suffered. And one of my favorite verses to memorize is the shortest verse in all the Bible. (laughs) Two words, Jesus wept. 
Jesus also called for us to have joy. And he said in John 15 that we studied this past spring, he says, I say these things to you so that your joy may be full and so that you may have my joy in you. Jesus certainly as well lived out and fleshed out what Paul is calling us to do, to rejoice always, to be full of joy, but even Jesus wept. So how do they go together? To rejoice always very simply means that there is a joy, a joy that supersedes our sorrow, that supersedes our heartache and our pain. Because the reality is we, we may and we probably will experience very hurtful, very difficult, very trying, very painful things in our life. But we are not overcome by them. Rather than being drugged down at the depths of despondency, rather than wallowing in the pits of depression, joy finds solace and it finds refuge and it finds strength with roots and a foundation that goes deeper than any sorrow or any difficulty. We wonder, well, how is that possible? How can there be a joy that is bigger and deeper that overcomes and that supersedes my pain. There's one important word to notice in this little command. Rejoice, it says. What's the next phrase? Rejoice in the Lord. The third big observation here is that joy is found in the Lord. Our world, our culture, is obsessed with being happy. Even many Christians are obsessed with being happy. (laughs) But what they focus on, when they think of happiness, it's all about a feeling. It's all about an emotion. And the way that they seek to, for that feeling to be there and that, to have happiness By the way, it's, you know, I mean, our Declaration of Independence, right? We have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's our our right as Americans to be happy. But where do people try to find happiness? Primarily in stuff, possessions, experiences, and relationships with people. The reality is that joy that is deep, joy that is unshakable, joy that is lasting, joy that is real, will never be found in possessions, stuff, experiences, and relationships with people. If you don't believe that, go read the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, went out on a journey trying to find meaning in life under the sun, mean cut God out of the picture, and try to find meaning in life, joy in life. And he went in search of it, and he sought into all of those things. After everything, he came back and he goes, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It all stinks. There is no happiness. There is no joy here. Not real, lasting, deep joy. 
Paul says, where is that joy found? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Ultimately, joy that is deep and unshakable springs from a relationship with our Creator God. A real relationship. This relationship starts, it begins when a man or a woman or child puts their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. You see, the Bible tells us that our sin separated us from God and separates us from God. Because of sin, we are alienated from him. We are, the Bible says, at enmity with God. But God in his grace sent Jesus Christ. Jesus who died to pay for our sin and rose again to give us life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes, This is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. See, what he says is that God sent Jesus Christ for the purpose of, through his death and through his resurrection, to reconcile us to himself. That when we put our faith in Jesus, we trust him as our Savior, our relationship is restored, it's made right. It brings us into a relationship with God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says that when we trust in Jesus Christ, we are born again, we become God's children. To all who received him, speaking of Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, I urge you, I implore you to do that today. To admit to God, I'm a sinner. I've offended you. My sin has alienated me from you. I have a debt that I can't pay, but thank you. In your grace, you sent Jesus. Jesus died for my sins. I trust him as my Savior. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, he will not turn away. If you come to him in faith, believing in Jesus, he brings you into his family. He makes you his child. A relationship with Christ, a relationship with our creator God begins. Then as we grow closer to Christ, as we grow deeper in our relationship with him, we discover that his joy grows in our life. Psalm 16, 11 says, In God's presence, in relationship with him, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Nothing else in life will satisfy. Nothing else will bring a deep, abiding joy except a relationship with our God. Paul is full of joy. If you read this little letter, it shines out from him from the beginning to the end of this little letter. And the fuel, the secret behind Paul's joy is very clear. He declares in chapter 3, verse 8, Indeed, I count everything else as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says the greatest treasure, the greatest joy, the greatest blessing is to have a relationship, a growing relationship with Jesus Christ where every day I get to know him a little more and a little more. 
I've counted everything else as worthless. I have made it, he goes on to say in verse 10, I have made it my highest ambition, his highest aspiration. I want to know Christ. I just want to know him a little more today than I did yesterday, a little more tomorrow than I did today. Paul is full of joy because he is growing in his relationship with Christ. He is He knows him well. Paul wasn't full of joy because God made his circumstances better. Because when he became a believer in Jesus, all his troubles went away. And God made him healthy and wealthy. That's not at all what happened. Paul became a believer, a follower in Jesus Christ, and life got tough. He lost his prestige in the Jewish community. He lost his place of honor and authority. He lost his wealth. He lost, ultimately, he suffered and ultimately lost his freedom and lost his life. But Paul says, that doesn't matter. The thing which brings the greatest satisfaction and the greatest joy is knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want to know him. Paul's joy is rooted in his relationship with Jesus. So how does that joy show up in life? What does it look like in real life? I could answer that question probably in a lot of different ways, but as we try to wrap this up to help us understand what does that look like in real life, I want to take us to just a few things that I see and I observe here in Paul in this little letter. Three ways that the Lord's joy shows up in Paul's life, even while he is in prison, even while he suffers, even while people are out there talking badly about Paul, even while Paul is facing death. How does the joy of the Lord show up in his life? First, there's the joy of relationship. Relationship with Jesus. Chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. I've noticed, and you probably have too, that in our human relationships, that, and just in life in general, who we're with tends to be more important to us than where we are. I was a youth pastor for over 20 years, and I remember all these times planning events, and I would sometimes plan big, elaborate events, big, great events, and I think the kids would be so excited about this. And you know what? I'd find out that sometimes two kids would come. And then, you know, you plan this event one day, and the last second, what am I going to do? I don't know. i got this thing happening with kids. What are you gonna... Let's watch grass grow, and 50 kids show up. Because... You see, they came not because we're watching grass grow. They came because Bob is coming and Sally is coming and Sue is coming. And it was more important to them who's going to be there than what we're doing. And as long as the right people are there, it's good. And we're still that way as adults. I personally would rather be eating lunch at McDonald's today with people I love than having lunch at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse with a bunch of strangers. See, if I may say, that's the principle here. 
Life may be difficult. Life may not be the bed of roses that we want. But if we're with the right person, there is joy. And the right person is Jesus. And Paul finds joy in prison because Jesus is there in prison with Paul. You and I likewise can have joy in whatever situation we are in in life because Jesus is with us too. Because he has promised to never leave us and never forsake us. He is the friend, the scripture says, that stays closer than a brother. He is the one who truly understands how we feel and what we are going through. And he is the one that always listens even when nobody else cares. That's why there's a joy in relationship with Jesus that supersedes our circumstances. Even to the point that Paul says there in in chapter 3, in verse 10, that he desires to share, he says, in the sufferings of Christ, that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings. It's one place, again, where I'm not really wild about the ESV translation here. Every other translation that I know of talks about the fellowship of his sufferings. The Greek word here is koinonia, that we usually translate fellowship. That's what that means out there, by the way, on that board. If some of you see, what's that koinonia? If you look out in the foyer up above there, it's fellowship. And the things that are under that are all about fellowship and life in the church, okay? Koinonia, fellowship. Paul says there is a fellowship with Christ when we suffer. And I want to experience sufferings like Christ because when I do that, there's a connection with him. Paul is saying that suffering can be a good thing in life. A few years ago, one of my friends, uh, Emerson Barron, who's a pastor at one of our sister churches, uh, we were talking over lunch and he shared with me how he was living in constant pain, had been for years, uh, often excruciating due to some health issues. And a few years before, he had lost a son to leukemia. But he said, you know, through these sufferings, I discovered a great treasure, a treasure of joy. Because in these Through these came a sweetness of fellowship, a closeness with Jesus that I don't think you can get any other way. And I have heard that time and time again from some of you. Some of you here here today, some of you, I know one who's watching online today. It's through those sufferings that there's a fellowship with Christ. He shows up in ways uniquely when we are at that most desperate and that most desolate and most difficult of times. He shows up in a sweet fellowship. Paul says there's a joy that comes in relationship with Jesus. Another reason that Paul has joy and another way it shows up here is I see in Paul there's a joy of peace. 
I look in, in chapter 1 of this when Paul describes again that he's imprisonment and he says there in verse 19 that he's, he's in a bad situation that may result in his death. But as I read what he's writing, I read that there's no, there's no depression here and there's no fear here. There's not panic. Why is that? Because there's peace because of his relationship with Christ. It says, God will, verse 19, God will deliver me. He says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He says, you know, God is in control, and God is in in control of my life, and he is on my side. I have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about, nothing to be depressed about. I'm right where God wants me to be. Not only that, God has a plan. And God is working out that plan. Now that may, in verses 20 and 21, that may result in God delivering me out of prison into this life and into freedom. Or it may mean that God delivers me through prison into death and into the presence of God. And he says, you know what? I'm really good with either of those. Matter of fact, I'd rather that I get killed so I can go to heaven. (laughs) He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So many Christians sadly fear death and they can never really live because they're afraid constantly, constantly afraid. There's no reason to live in fear. The worst thing that can happen to us is we die and that's a promotion. Instant stepping into the glories of the presence of Jesus Christ. And if we don't die, then we're here with him with us. And he's working a plan. And it's good because he's confident as we should be in God's nature. God is good. God is loving. God is gracious. God is kind. He is faithful. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God is all-wise. And with that, when we rest in that and claim that we do as we say with Paul in Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? And a few verses later there in Romans 8, he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So even though your world may be difficult, even though your circumstances may be painful, even though there may be sorrow, there is peace because we rest in the God who is a God of great grace and a God of great love and who calls you his son, his daughter. Corrie ten Boom wrote about this idea. She said, you know, I've often heard people say how good God is. We prayed that it would not rain for our church picnic and look at the marvelous weather. (laughs) I am praying that we'll have great weather for our church picnic in a few weeks. And she says, yes, God is good when he sends good weather. But God was also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. I remember on one occasion when I was very discouraged there, 
Everything around us was dark, and there was darkness in my heart. And I remember telling Betsy that I thought God had forgotten us. No, Corey, said Betsy. He has not forgotten us. Remember his word. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Even in our darkest of times, in our most difficult of times, God has not forgotten us. He has not abandoned us. His love has not deserted us. He is with us right there in that time. And when we claim that, there is a peace, a joy, and a peace even in difficulty. Finally, there is here, as I see in Paul, there is the joy of hope. The reality is that our circumstances in life here may be very pleasant. They may even be extremely difficult, extremely painful. But no matter what it is, it is not the end of the story. We're barely into the prelude. The rest of the story is in chapter 3, the verses that I read earlier as we began, because they're the introduction, as it were, the foundation for this command and this encouragement to stand firm in the Lord. Our citizenship is in heaven And we await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Jesus Christ is coming back. He will ultimately do away with sin, evil. He will do away with sickness and death. He will take us as his children and give us a new and eternal body and we will enjoy the glories and the wonders of heaven forever and ever. And these difficulties and struggles and trials and problems of life, no matter how deep and no matter how long they have been, they will be but a moment. As Paul calls them, he calls, and Paul suffered so greatly And he says, these light and momentary afflictions, they will be gone. And we will see from the perspective of heaven the great wonder and the great beauty of what God did through all of those. He will never waste one tear. I love how David writes in Psalm that he collects our tears in his bottle. He cares and he never wastes a moment of suffering and difficulty. What a great God we have. He says, trust me, it's all going to be worth it. Stand firm. And part of that is rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. I couldn't end with better words. I kept this a little longer than I meant. I just have to read some words that we received just a couple days ago. A little note from our missionary partners in the Philippines, John and Hannah. Because he says, really, every I should have just read this and I could have done away with the whole sermon. Most of you know that uh, they're off their island because Hannah was airlifted off their island because she was hit by a drunk driver a month ago on their little island. 
They are still away from their island and away from their children as she continues to recover from those injuries. John writes, Only two of us here, and as of now, I'm still caregiver to Hannah and doing almost every single detail just for her. One thing I like about her, she never complained the way I care and the way I cook, which I just boil everything. <laughs> Next time we go to the Philippines, we're going to take some cooking lessons to them. I never heard her even once complaining, why does this thing, why happened this thing to me? Or why God allow her situation? I saw her character. She chews life more than destruction. She chews on the solid rock more than on sinking sand. She chews to be happy more than miserable because she realized Everything she needs in life to be happy. He puts in parentheses, Philippians 4.4, 4, our verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Everything she needs to be fulfilled is found in relationship with Jesus Christ, our solid anchor. Our solid anchor. Let's pray. Father, we need to hear this. Because the reality is life at times is difficult, it's depressing, it's, it's hurtful, it's even cruel. And yet, you call us to be people of joy. <laughs> it's a joy that we'll find later doesn't even make sense, but it's a joy that comes from you. We thank you, Father, for that. It's a joy that's grounded in reality, the reality of who you are, that you are with us, that you are our Father, you're our Savior, you are our friend. It's anchored in the reality that you are in control and that you never waste even a moment of our, of our pain. You have a purpose. And that you have a destiny for us, a future. Father, may these give us joy. As well as there are so many other truths in your word, so many promises, so many things. May you fill us with joy. May we, like Paul, overflow with joy. Whether our circumstances are happy or whether our circumstances are difficult. May you give us that joy so that we may reflect to the world around us your grace and your goodness and your strength and your power and your glory because we have a world that needs to see you and they need to come to know, to hear of and to know and believe in our Lord Jesus that they might have life. This we pray in his name. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with him this week.